This is one of the most touching conversations I have ever had. It really showcases the profound impact the process can have. After taking the process, my guest Bernard Franklin transformed what once felt like pain and agony into a gift. Not only was he able to love himself and that little boy that he once was, he was also able to find deep compassion for his parents. And when he went back out into the world after the process, he became an embodiment of authentic and balanced masculinity. And with that embodiment, he actively gives hope to what he calls our world's toughest men. This is a beautiful interview with a beautiful man. Prepare to be deeply moved. Also, please be aware this conversation does make reference to abuse and therefore may not be suitable for all audiences. Welcome to Love's Everyday Radius, a podcast brought to you by the Hoffman Institute. My name is Sharon Moore, and I'm one of your hosts. And on this podcast, we talk to Hoffman graduates about how their courageous journey inward impacted their personal lives, but also how it impacted their community and the world at large. So tune in and listen in and hear how our graduates' authentic selves, how their love, how their spirits are making a positive impact on our world today. In other words, get to know their love's everyday radius. All right, Bernard, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Well, let's start with the Hoffman process. Uh, When did you take the process and what was it that led you there? I took the process in June of last year in Connecticut. I remember pretty vividly going to the website the first time and seeing the words, when you're serious about change. I was a man who had blocked lots of emotions, lots of feelings, lots of energy, and all of those channels were ready to explode, to come unglued. I was ready. I had no idea. Honestly, I had no idea what I was getting into. Those words just penetrated me. When you're ready for serious change, it's like, okay, I'm ready, but I don't know what I'm getting into. So I went to Connecticut. Talk about surrender. And when you went there, were you aware that these channels were ready to explode or you just knew something needed to shift? I was really unsettled. I don't know what a nervous breakdown feels like, but I was, I was shaky. I was, um, I was not myself. I wasn't feeling comfortable in my skin any longer. I couldn't pretend to be good and fine and well. I had arrived at the world's best educational institution and at the height of my life, at the height of my career, here I was a month after arriving, feeling that I I needed something, but I didn't know exactly what I needed. But I knew that all of my cylinders were, were off. And what was the process like for you? 
It was excruciating to begin with. I say that, and I have to interject, I have to bring in not just my maleness, but my being African-American male. I was conscious, probably hypervigilant, of where I was going and what I was doing. I had an idea that going to rural Connecticut would be all white. So I was immediately feeling that anxiety. And as we drove from the train, riding in an Uber, deeper into rural Connecticut, the fear and the anxiety continued to rise. Um, So we arrive, and I get out and met by the staff and so forth, and make my way to my room. And it's... um, what can I say? It's it's a lonely space because you don't know. You're in a strange place. You don't know anyone. And so you settle in and trust that the universe has a plan and a purpose for you that you don't know. So you surrender to where you're at and surrender to those moments. And I was ready. I mean, I, what more can I say? I, I was ready, though it was painfully awkward. And so you said excruciating to begin with, and then did that evolve into something else? Well, yes. So we get to the first event, and how how do I say, I arrive in the room, and the room is set up with chairs, and with our name tag or name plate on the chair. And... My chair is at the end of the first row in the back. I had an immediate visceral reaction of being back in middle school, where as an advanced African-American in this middle school, all of my class rooms had Franklin at the end of the first row in the back the only black kid. And you look at it back and you think, now, why did my teachers say to themselves, how do we integrate this boy? How do we bring this boy into the culture and the community? It wasn't so then. But to get to it years later, and this still the same position, the same culture happens again, Uh, I remember saying to myself, kind of processing that, sitting there, uh, you were a boy once and you didn't say anything. You're a man now and it's time for you to speak up. And so I went to my teacher and I said, I can't stay here. Um, I, this is, this is, this is, I can't do this. I, I, I need to go. And my teacher was just calm, just, just a sweet man just recognized that I was in pain and I was frustrated and um, said, well, maybe there's something more here. Maybe there's something more to this story. Maybe, maybe there's, there's something to unfold here. Would you trust the process? And everything in me said, wanted to say, hell no, I'm not trusting this process. I'm going to, I'm going to leave. I'm going to get out of here. But I think it was the manner and the way that my teacher engaged me 
that touched my humanity, touched my heart, and touched that spot that said, wait, 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 there might be something more here that you need to uh, process. And so I went back to my room and I stayed, stayed overnight. And you mentioned that one of the inner conversations you had with yourself was, you know, you were once a boy and you didn't speak up. You're now a man. It's time to speak up. Would you say that was one of the first times you spoke up in that way? In that way, yes. And to be honest with you, I'm not quite sure why I did other than maybe being hypervigilant, being so aware it brought me to that place. But yes, there are just times when I've been more compliant, kind of roll with the culture, roll with where I've been. Um, Having grown up with a very demanding father who did not provide me opportunities to express myself. Very cold, very calculating, very dismissive, didn't receive love from his father and was incapable of showing me love. I didn't have that. So I lived under a tight rule, went through school pretty much that same way. So yes, I've lived a pretty compliant life, fall in line, do what's required, do what's necessary to get ahead. But I don't know, this was a moment where I just couldn't do that. And I spoke out of my belly. I spoke out of my stomach. I spoke out of that inner part of me that said, this is time for you to speak up. This is time for you to express how you feel. It's interesting because you say, I don't know, you know why I did it, but I did. And what I heard you say earlier was when you felt like you were ready you had a surrender. You, you, you said, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to surrender to the moments. I'm going to surrender to this. And maybe in that surrender was what guided you to, to speak up in this way. That's a good point. It is a juxtaposition. If you look at it, if you're ready to change, why not just sit through it? Why not just say, well, these are circumstances, but I'm, I won't change so bad. I'll do whatever it takes to to get there. My position was, well, if this is what I have to go through to get to change, I'm not saying. Which was this this strange push and pull, just the position of, of saying, I want change, but this is uncomfortable to be the only Black in this room and at the back of the room, and I'm leaving. But to have someone who was skilled enough to say, But yeah, there could be something more here. You had that experience. You spoke up. You were held and seen by your teacher. You stayed. And then what what happened in the process for you? Well, then we talked about, we introduced ourselves. And I made the introduction that how uncomfortable it was for me to be in this space and in present and to be the only one. And again, I'm saying this in ways that I, that's not typically how I've handled race and culture. I've been one to ride with it and just smooth it over. But for whatever reason, I couldn't. And I have to interject because I want our listeners to understand this is being said out of love and out of where I am, out of my position and out of my place. 
I think there were some in my group who heard other words or other things and perhaps took offense or were wounded by those words, but that was not my intent. My intent was coming out of my own story, coming out of my own experience of being the only kid, the left out kid, the kid that no one talks to, the kid that no one interacts with, or the kid that's working really hard to get good grades and to be you know, the, the smart kid, but still always on the outside. And so that's, that's what I was attempting to say is, I think I want to grow up. I want to mature. I want to be, I want to say how I feel and own that feeling. And has that stayed with you, this, this ability to not just feel the feelings, but also express what you're feeling in your life post-process? Yes, yes, it has. It has stayed. There was a little boy before who was so submissive, uh, so broken, not given compassion, not told he was enough. He was good enough. He was present. I wasn't seen by my dad. I wasn't loved by my dad. I wasn't encouraged by my dad. My dad said I would never amount to anything. I wasn't worth a nickel. So through my process, of course, you know, we spent time with my mom, spent time with my dad. And I had done some of that work before, but I think I came into a deeper place of recognizing my dad gave me all he had. My parents were sharecroppers. They picked cotton. And at that time, their lives weren't about family systems or healthy families. It was about survival. They did enough to keep us alive and to keep the family moving forward. But it wasn't about learning how to be a good, loving father. My mother learning how to be a good, loving mother. I mean, it was, it was about survival. So looking back on it, I can look back and, and say they gave me what they had. And so... My process at Hoffman was really around accepting that and really embracing that really, really deeply and saying that Black family did what they could with what they had. Yeah, so almost going through that, you landed in a deeper place of compassion. Like you say, you accepted it, but really, really embrace it deeply. It's a different level of acceptance than you may have had before. Yes, yes, much deeper. And coming to the place, I think, um, in a realistic way where I could love my dad and love my mom. You know, even parts of this, even now, it's hard to express. But my dad came back from the Korean War, heroin addicted, and they married. And I think what really happened was it trapped my dad. And my dad didn't want to be married, but now all of a sudden he's married. Having come back from the war, you're heroin addicted, you had, if you could say, a great time in wartime, he described how the Korean women really loved African-American men. And so he had, I think, this kind of fascination of maybe, and probably some suave, he would be this single guy that would have fun. And it didn't quite work out that way. And then here I come and that's not what he wanted. So my childhood was really a lot of that resentment and a lot of his anger toward me, a lot of abuse, lots of, lots of abuse. I'll, I'll say it that way. So 
Hoffman was a way to really go deep into that space and really own a lot of that pain that I hadn't expressed and really clean it out and begin to let the little boy who wasn't seen, wasn't heard, now finally have an opportunity to be heard and to be seen. How has all of this unfolded in your life? You went back to this you mentioned you were at you know, the height of this career and one of the best universities and suddenly hitting this crossroad of, I can't go on, something needs to change. You have this powerful experience at the process. What's it like when you go back home to your life? It continues. The unfolding continues because now it's not about trying to look good or if we were to describe it in terms of places and positions, just extraordinary the things that I've done. And it's amazing that looking back even now, but especially at my, my site, how in the world I survived, worked really hard, valedictorian of my high school, first African-American student body president, all this enormous stuff, therapist for an NFL football team, just enormous. But it wasn't who I really am. And so after Hoffman, I went to visit friends to really begin to integrate the process. And in integrating, I realized that there was work for me to do to take my authentic self to broken men in the streets who haven't had a role model, who haven't had a father, who haven't had a man. So I wrestled with, do I remain with my mask on a man who appears to be successful, but doesn't show his scars or doesn't show his wounds? And I couldn't do that anymore. It felt like it was time for me to um, not hide anymore how I grew up, my pain, my difficulties. It was time for me to own this journey. And so I did. Literally, I went and cried the whole week because this integration was, you need to set aside this false pretense of a man and take on this broken man who is now being integrated into wholeness and let that be the man you are and the man you show the world. And are you able to touch into or share with us what has that been like? So you set aside the false pretense, you put away the mask, you show your real self. What's happened as a result? It's not all been easy. I think I have looked for an army of other men to come alongside and affirm me, but I've had to learn how to stand in my own shoes and stand in my own masculinity and allow that new man to work and breathe without approval. I needed my father's approval. I needed other men's approval, but where I'm at now and where I am as I've integrated Hoffman is it's okay for, for me to feel feelings and have feelings and have emotions, but I don't need to be affirmed. 
I can be this man who shows up in his brokenness. I can be this man who shows up in his pain. And I can be a role model for other men about how to work through their own grief and their own trauma and what it means to be authentic in that space. You mentioned show up as this role model in my pain and allow other men to work through their grief and their trauma. Have you noticed how do they respond to seeing this version of you, this real version of you? How, what's the impact on them? They are moved because many of them have not had an opportunity to engage male authenticity. Our culture has so brutalized masculinity and has so depicted masculinity as being tough and emotionless. And so for me to walk into a room and for me to share my story in its full, authentic, masculine humanity is for some men the first time they've heard it and the first time they've seen it. So it is very enriching and well-received, well-received with men that I never thought I would have favor with or interaction with. You're talking about some of America's toughest men who have shot and killed and maimed people who suddenly sit in a room and listen to my story and find hope in that. There have been extraordinary moments, let's just say. I mean, what I hear is our world needs this. Our feminine and masculine need this. We need to see this version of masculinity. It's your personal story, but wow, what a collective impact it's having. Yeah, it is. I would have never thought that would come out of my Hoffman experience. I There's parts of me that thought I would um, join an equity firm or I would lead some extraordinary university or college. But I never thought my Hoffman experience, <laughs> I, I just never thought my, my experience would take me in, in an authentic way to men who most need it. And so I'm thankful these tears now are not that I'm not, not thankful. I'm, I'm so thankful. I hurt at some points because I think, why wasn't I able to be authentic years before? Why couldn't I have embraced this years before? But I can't go back and look at that. All I can do now is learn to live in the present and respond to situations in the present and learn how to speak with authenticity, integrate it with masculinity. I can't think of a better way of describing it right now, but how do we bring that authentic maleness, that authentic masculinity, yet integrated and balanced with femininity um, to some of the toughest places in America? So that's my challenge, and I owe it to my Hoffman experience for allowing the true man to come forward and to be, be in this space, be with you now and be in this space. I have a belief that 
when we do this kind of work on ourselves, we find ourselves back in the world, members of our community, members of the collective, more communal focused. And your story is another expression of that. If I'm hearing it correctly, it was this thing that you couldn't touch all your life. And maybe you even kept it secret, like you said, a mask. And you kept moving forward and moving forward and becoming extraordinary in your career and your profession. And here's this thing, this source of shame broke open in the process. And now it is continuing to break open. Like you said, here I am still. Uh, it is still unfolding. The work is still taking place. But you are touching into one of the hardest parts of our societies and inspiring them and giving them hope with that story that you were maybe once hiding most of your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even to me, pretty extraordinary. I would have never expected it, would have never even anticipated it. But it also says just how broken a part of our culture is and how we have marginalized a group of people that we've labeled super predators. And they are no different than me who are looking for some affirmation, someone to say they're good enough. And when they don't hear that, then they create their own community. They create their own family. And that family is so broken, so desperately broken, but they don't know any other way. And so I can come in and I can say, yes, but there is another way. So much of neuroscience today says that broken traumatic brains can heal and broken traumatic people can change their mindset. So I can bring Hoffman, though I don't specifically say Hoffman. I do talk about how significant broken traumatic experiences don't have to continue to define us, that we can change, we can turn, we can find a whole other direction and walk therein. I'm moved by you bringing this to this population. And like you said, I was thinking an equity firm or a professor in a college or all these other options and something, was this, was this also a surrender? What, what steered you in this direction of this is how I'm going to show up in my authentic maleness? When I went away to some friends in Oregon and literally in my integration, I sensed that this was my purpose and this was my opportunity. I had come in contact with an organization in Boston that worked with this population. And it was one of those serendipitous moments when the universe brings us together for lunch. And as they were talking, I felt my inside say, your authentic self will show up here and your authentic self will be welcomed here. You will feel purpose here. But I have to admit, even in that integration period, I fought it because this is not who I thought I was supposed to grow up to be. I thought I was going to put on this successful mask. And so I had to turn around. What is success? Success is living out of our true identity. Success is living out of our purpose. Success is living with purpose and with passion 
And so these guys give me purpose and passion. They give me the sense that all of I've been through, all of that hell, all of that stuff was for purpose, that I can use this truth of my experience to say, I've been there. I have felt that. I know what it feels like to have a father who doesn't speak to you out of love and care. I know what that feels like. But at the same time, I can tell them there is transformation. There is hope. We can change. We can find another direction to live. Amazing, Bernard. So, yeah, so that's what Hoffman was for me, was to allow me to dig deep, to find that little boy, mature that boy into masculinity and manhood, and to say all of that past is a gift that I can give away to other men. And so I've completely turned it around. What, what I once thought was a hellish upbringing, a hellish life, pain, suffering. I say, now those are my gifts. Those are what I give away. It was my training, and Hoffman brought it all together. I, I can't say enough of my experience, even the parts of playing was allowing that little boy who didn't have fun to all of a sudden now have fun. So it's this week of full integration of emotions and feelings and grabbing a hold of stuff that you didn't have an opportunity or, you, or, or life wouldn't give you perspective about how to bring it all together. Suddenly you have this week and it comes together. And we're talking, you did this, you know, a little over a year ago. No, not even, almost a year ago. Almost a year. So within a year, you experienced this incredible cracking open and then transformation and then a continuous unfolding and then having this incredible impact on this group of people all within a year. I was ready. Less than a year. I was ready. Yeah. You were ready. And I also think there's, you know, you mentioned a couple things that I, that I have this visual of little crossroads along the way where you had to make the choice, conscious or unconscious, to stay the course. You know, you said, I was looking for an army of men. That didn't happen. You still stayed the course. I thought I was going to do the success thing. That didn't happen. You still stayed the course. And that's probably two of a hundred examples of the little crossroads along the way that, again, I get this hit of surrender, that, that your spirit or your something kept telling you, move forward, keep going this direction. Yeah, I do. I check in every day so that I can have balance with my intellect, my body, my emotions and to get a good, solid word from my spirit. I need that. That is what has kept me focused and moving forward. And I look back, and even as you say, I look back and say, amazing how much has happened in less than a year. But I was ready, and I've gotten in touch with a process that helps me understand when I'm entering a pattern how I release that pattern, how I let go of and surrender 
and then begin to embrace my adult masculinity and say, okay, this is the proper thinking, or this is the proper feeling or emotion. Let's move in that. Let's settle in that. And so for me, doing a daily quad check is almost my daily essential um, element. I need to check in with Bernard. And make sure all of Bernard is ready to take on the day. Yeah, exactly. Wow, Bernard. What a courageous and beautiful story that you live. That is your life. And what a beautiful expression of what happens when when you go into this work ready and willing. Agree. I think none of us can say we've had too much of a painful past or too much abuse or too much trauma. I hope I can say, I hope I can speak to even those who feel they had no love or no focus or no family, that there's life on the other side. That when you're ready to change, there is a process. That when you want to find your true self, there is a way. And you can connect with that part of you that the universe wants you to connect with. I hope I can say that to people. Well, you, you just did, and you do, in your life. It's beautiful. Thank you. Bernard, thank you so much for uh, being here and for opening up and for inspiring all the ears that this lands on. And I hope it lands on so many ears because this is really powerful. And if you ask me what our world needs. So thank you so much for being here and for letting us in and for opening up. I appreciate it. I, I would say as, as we close for all of those who would like to find a way to support this work, that they would set aside whatever funds or efforts that they can. Our world needs a process like this. And I hope we can generate more ways. And I'm, I'm being specific, but I know all of us need it. But my community, my desperate community of African-American men who are so broken, my heart, my goal, my passion is to figure out how I take Hoffman deeper into broken urban communities. So thank you for this time. I appreciate it. How lucky our world is to have you caring and doing what you're doing. I'm grateful. Well, thank you. You filled my heart and filled many's and inspired us all. So thank you again, Bernard. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to our podcast. My name is Liza Ingrassi. I'm the CEO and president of Hoffman Institute Foundation. And I'm Raz Ingrassi, Hoffman teacher and founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation. Our mission is to provide people greater access to the wisdom and power of love in themselves, in each other, and in the world. To find out more, please go to hoffmaninstitute.org.